from ADP, this is Better For It. I'm Francesca Ramsey. You may know me from my videos about race and pop culture on YouTube, or maybe we argued on Twitter. I've written for MTV and Comedy Central, and I even wrote a book about my mistakes on my journey to become an activist. On this show, I'm going to talk with business leaders about their biggest mistakes and how they've learned from them. In fact, those lessons fuel what they're working for today. For my first conversation, I had the pleasure of talking to HR and management visionary Patty McCord about some of her toughest moments at work and how they've helped her on her mission to revamp HR. I used to sit at desks at the end of the day and people would file in and in one drawer I had exit paperwork and the other drawer I had Kleenex. Patty used to be the chief talent officer at Netflix, which is a fancy way of saying head of HR. Together with founder and CEO Reed Hastings, they shaped the company's culture and turned the traditional HR handbook upside down. They outlined this new ethos in what's come to be known as the Netflix Culture Deck, a 125-page document that, since it was posted online just over a decade ago, has been viewed over 19 million times. So, of course, this magical deck was the first thing I had to ask Patty about. Well, first, I want to tell you a couple of things about the infamous Culture Deck. It took us 10 years to write it. Wow. And we, I didn't write it, and Reed Hastings didn't write it. We did it collaboratively with the management team, with every employee in the company. And anybody could suggest an edit or make a change to it. Wow. So it was not ever meant to be a treatise on how to run a company that every other company should follow. It was an internal onboarding document. And um, this is a true story about the release of it. Reed and I were driving to work one day. We carpooled together, and he said, you know, I met this really interesting woman last night, and she has this really cool company called SlideShare, and they share PowerPoint presentations on the Internet. I said, oh, man, what a great idea. I wish I had thought of that. I wonder what people are going to put out there. <laughs> he said, oh, I published the Culture Deck this morning. <laughs> so you had no idea that this <laughs> no idea. document you'd been working on was going to be potentially no. shared with millions of people. With millions of people. And I thought, well, maybe nobody will read it and I just won't have to worry about it because I was worried. And and I said to Reed, I'm like, you're going to scare away all of our candidates. And he said, only the ones we don't want. Mm. A big part of that culture deck had to do with Patty's approach to building great teams. There's a line in there that says, we're a team, not a family. Netflix leaders hire, develop, and cut smartly. In other words, Netflix is only interested in employees whose skills meet the needs of right now. So if you've outgrown the company or the company has outgrown you, it's time to move on. It sounds harsh, but that's what Patty's famous for, her directness, telling people the truth even when it hurts. Part of how she developed her approach was through reflecting on experiences she had long before Netflix, when she was working for some really big corporations. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how you developed your approach to hiring and firing over the years. Can we talk about the first time you had to fire someone? I was a supervisor 
I had a team of about 30 people. And there was a person on the team who was really, really nice. She remembered everybody's birthday. She always had little cards on her desk that said things like, you know, today's the first day of the rest of your life. I think she only wore purple. She's very sweet. She was not very competent. And she was always late. She didn't do work. And everybody complained about her. And she kind of knew that people were complaining about her. And I just, you know, I tried talking to her, but I never could say Every time I'd do the sandwich where I'd be like, oh, I love your dress today. By the way, you know, it'd be great if you could start showing up on time. And, you know, the day's the first day of the rest of your life, too. So she never got it, right? So when I finally said goodbye to her, I must have been 23. You know, I was like, we just can't have you here anymore. And you're, you're just not keeping up with everybody else. And, you know, your work product is faulty. And, you know, I had this whole list of things I was reading from. And she said... Oh, honey, it took you so long to get rid of me. I'm terrible at this job, and I hate it. <laughs> she came out and said it? Yes, yeah, she just said that. She goes, and you you know, you know, didn't do a very good job of this. <laughs> and when she left, everybody, you know, she walked out the door, and, and the rest of the team, I mean, I had a pretty big team. It was like 30 people all stood up and clapped, like, thank God. And I realized, oh, I wasn't doing us a favor of keeping her around. And maybe just the the directness that you've kind of become known for clearly was not in your repertoire at that oh, time. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. So what did you gather from that that you then used going forward as you continued to manage more people? That you don't have to keep people who aren't competent and don't want to be there. Right. I mean, as an early manager, that's one of your first issues is like, I guess I'm stuck with the team I'm stuck with, whether they like it or not. Instead of realizing your job is to put together the best team that accomplishes great stuff. And and you know what? Maybe I hired you to do something, to build something, and you've been here for four years and you're done. I just don't need you to do it again. Although Patty was developing these new ideas, she was still tied to the traditional world of HR. Part of her duties included layoffs. When companies needed to cut staff, Patty was the one to do it. It was during those hard conversations that she says major mistakes were made. And those mistakes would change the way she thought HR should really operate. I mean, I used to sit at desks at the end of the day, and people would file in, and in one drawer I had exit paperwork, and the other drawer I had Kleenex. Wow. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, and I would talk to 300 people and say goodbye. Can you take me back to a particular day when you were laying off people at one of these companies? Mm -hmm. So you walk through the door, you're on your way to your office. How are you feeling as you make that walk down the hallway and and everybody around is thinking, is today the day? I think this might be it. (laughs) Uh, you got a lot of coffee, and uh, you're a little bit scared, and you know that it's your job, and you just try and power through it. And and how do you open the conversation? In a massive layoff, by the time the fifth person comes in, they're already crying. And, you know, you just say, what can I do for you? How can I make you feel better? Really sorry this had to happen. Let's go through the paperwork. Let's make sure you know what to do. 
Um, so it's very administrative in a big layoff situation. Um, and it's pretty robotic in that if you're going to see 100 people, you're going to have the same conversation with them. And it's mostly about here's how your insurance is going to work. Here's how your severance pay works. You know, it's, this is all the administrative parts that HR people get all caught up in. So would you describe how you previously handled layoffs as a mistake, especially in relation to how you've been able to implement them at Netflix and and other companies since? Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Surprising people, leaving them in the dark. And now that you're looking back on this, because you've had some distance between this and then the next chapters in your career, what would you have done differently? Well, I worked in a company that did a lot of manufacturing. And I remember as I drove away, as I left that company, every time you walk away, you know, you say to yourself, what don't I ever want to do again? And this company talked about their manufacturing workers as headcount. They were just headcount. They didn't have names. They didn't have titles. It was like, we got to cut headcount. And I had just laid off, I don't know, a thousand people. And And it was the end for me. I was just done with it. And as I drove away, I thought, I never want to work in a place where people are just headcount. And the biggest crime we committed with those layoffs was only the top level of management knew it was coming. And so people were shocked. Right. So how how this manifested itself into my philosophy and my approach to HR are a number of things. One of them is, Everyone can hear virtually all of the information about how you run a business. So employees should be able to read a profit and loss statement. And employees should be able to see if you're running out of money way before you're running out of money. (laughs) The second one is give people enough notice so that they have dignity and grace as they leave, whether it's one at a time or 1,000 at a time. And make sure, most importantly, make sure that as a leader, if you're a leader in a company, it's your job to build resume-worthy experiences so that when people leave, which almost always they do, they walk away proud of the work that they did in your firm. After the break, Patty puts all these lessons into action. Better For It is a podcast from ADP. ADP believes that the things we work for are what define us. And they're imagining a world where nothing gets in the way of doing great work, not even our biggest mistakes. Much more than payroll, ADP also provides best-in-class HR, talent, time, and benefits, all designed to clear the way for you and your people to achieve what you're working for. Back to my conversation with Patty McCord. Patty actually met Reed Hastings before he founded Netflix. They worked together at his first startup, and when it sold, they parted ways. Patty started consulting. She did that for about a year. Then late one night, she gets a call from Reed. He asks her if she wants to do HR for him again at a new company he's starting, a mail-order DVD rental business called Netflix. 
when he called me to come to Netflix, I was not particularly excited about it. I was consulting, and I didn't necessarily want to do another startup with him because <laughs> I knew what that was like. And I thought DVDs in the mail was kind of a dumb job. Oh, I mean, a, a dumb Patty. idea. Yeah, I did. You no, can't like, say. I mean, kudos y- for admitting it, but that's oh, how come you really on. felt. I, come on, back in those days, <laughs> I said to Reed, "I'm like, who's gonna who's gonna mail DVDs to each other? You and the three other people we know that have DVD players." <laughs> $1,200, right? Wow. And we all of us had our, our, you know, our houses were lined with VHS cassettes, right? You remember this, right? I, it's like, I, I mean, yes, I was a wee babe, but I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's going to do this. So, uh, so literally, he called me in the middle of the night and asked me to come to Netflix. And I said, no, you know, no, I don't want to do another startup with you. No, I'm consulting. I've got a lot of my own time. No, it's a dumb idea, you know. Give me one good reason why I would do this. And he said, uh, let's make the company we always dreamed of. And I said, really? Okay, well, if that happened, how would you know? And he said, oh, I'd, I'd want to walk in the door every day and solve these problems with these people. I'm like, damn, that's good. And he goes, how about you? And I said, wouldn't it be cool if we were a great company to be from? <gasps> And just thinking about making the experience one that when you leave, it's one that you look back on positively. Yeah. You want to be proud of the work that you do. You want to be able to tell your friends about it. You want to be able to to feel like you're making a difference. What do you do to make a company that people want to be from? What are the things that you make sure you implement that people are going to remember and and maybe even want to take with them on their next journey? I didn't shape that culture. I mean, I it, I get way too much credit for this. It was everybody else who was managing people. It was everybody on the executive team. It was employees talking about it. It was mostly just paying attention to it. I was in charge of operationalizing it. If I said, okay, I'm going to hire adults, I'm going to expect a lot from them, I want them to really make a difference, I want them to have freedom and responsibility, then I had to go look at every single process in the company where somebody has to ask somebody else for permission what to do and remove it. I was around innovators all the time at Netflix. Nobody says, yeah, I know it's kind of funky, but we'll just work on it and make it a little bit better. We'd be like, throw it away. We can do better. A few things she threw away? Tracking vacation time for salaried employees. Instead, teams would work out for themselves how much time to take off. She also got rid of annual performance reviews. She told teams to give each other feedback in the moment. Some of these innovations came out of difficult decisions Patty had to make. When Netflix was just a few years old, the dot-com bubble burst, and she had to help lead the company through an economic downturn. Netflix was going to lay off a third of its employees, and Patty was determined for this layoff to be different from the others she'd done, for one big reason. In almost all of those previous situations, I'm not in charge. Now here, in this situation, I'm in charge. And I'm sitting with our executive team and saying, we all own this together. I own the process. And so here's how I think it should go. And I remember uh, one member of the executive team said, well, I have some disagreements. I'm like, how many people have you laid off? (laughs) 
says, well, you know, more than a couple. I'm like, 7,000. Okay, I think I'm the expert here. (laughs) So it was about communicating that whole process to everybody so everybody understood what we were doing. And remember, in this situation, it truly was life or death. We had a meeting in the parking lot every Friday, and people would say, looks like we're running out of money. (laughs) Would we consider cutting people? And we said, yeah, we have to, of course. Right? Make plans. Everybody make plans. And then the day came. Literally, the whole company went into the parking lot, and everybody knew there was going to be a big announcement. And I said, Reed, you have to say this. It's your decision. You're the CEO. And Reed said... I've made a decision that we have to cut headcount in the company. That means a bunch of you guys aren't going to work here after today. So you're going to go back in the building, and your manager's going to call you. And if your manager calls you, that means that you're going to leave. And so it's going to take us a couple of hours. So we want to be really supportive of each other. But we're not going to take a long time, and we'll figure it out today. If you had to boil this down to one thing that was different about this experience versus your previous experiences— What was the thing that was different, and what made this a quote-unquote success? It wasn't a surprise. It was painful, but it was not a surprise, right? Everybody knew how much money we had left in the bank, right? Everybody knew how much the total salaries of the company cost. Everybody knew what the cost was of buying a new DVD and shipping it to a customer. Everybody understood the mechanics of the business and what it was going to take to carry on. So in October of 2001, I laid off 30% of the company. And when that was over, I stood up in front of the people that were left. Back in those days, I could still communicate to the whole company standing on a chair. And I said, we're not your family, right? Let's just not talk about this anymore. We're a team of people trying to figure this out. Right. And what happened was... uh, that Christmas DVD players dropped to 99 bucks. Everybody in America got one. You had one. Our only marketing was a coupon in the DVD player that said, try Netflix for free. <laughs> and our business went crazy. Wow. And so after that, we were doing twice as much work with a third as many people. And it was more fun. Because in the layoff, I had said goodbye to anybody who wasn't really technically capable of doing what it is we needed to do. I'd said goodbye to almost everybody in middle management. So if it was somebody's job to tell somebody else what to do, I decided I didn't need them. Uh, And I said goodbye to all the complainers because you just had to be up for it. So, Patty, you... um quite bravely admitted that you weren't sure that Netflix was the best idea at first. And then you got to be a part of reshaping the culture from the ground up. When was the moment that you felt, wow, this is really coming together the way that I imagined? I don't remember a moment where I thought that, that, oh my God, now we've really done it in terms of the culture. I always remember the moments that were the accomplishments in the business. I remember when we got our millionth customer. I mean, I was so proud. A million people did. Who would have thought? 
It's like working. <laughs> oh my God. I remember standing in line at the security of the airport at uh, San Jose Airport. And the guy, the security guy who's checking my bags, sees that I have a Netflix t shirt on. And he says, Oh my God, are you from Netflix? And I said, Yeah, I work there. And he yells to the janitor who's behind me. He's like, Hey, she's from Netflix, man. And he yells at the guy who's working like at the Burger King. He's like, This girl's from Netflix. And I, I call Reed up. I'm like, We made it. <laughs> <laughs> that is adorable. <laughs> the excitement at your voice is just so contagious. I mean, that is clearly the feeling that you want all of your employees to have, right? Yes. Yes. Patty stayed at Netflix for 14 years, up until Reed decided he wanted to move into making movies and TV shows rather than just streaming them. And so Patty was on the receiving end of the very talk she warned new hires about. If your skill set wasn't needed anymore, then it was time for you to go. In Patty's case, her HR experience was great for Netflix, the streaming platform, but not so great for Netflix, the film and TV production company. So she and Reed both decided it was time for Patty to say goodbye. Now Patty consults with all kinds of businesses, from early stage startups to big companies. She also published a book called Powerful about her management philosophies, the very ones that were outlined in that Netflix culture deck over a decade ago. You know, you've you've had these really difficult experiences, but ones that you've been able to use for a positive end, the person that's listening to this and maybe they're never going to lay somebody off, they've got a small business or they work under someone else, what do you hope they can learn from your experience working in HR and having these varied experiences when it comes to laying people off, the good and the bad? I think it's everybody coming to the realization that work isn't forever, and every company isn't forever. And that as an employee, you own your employment just as much as your employer does. And so, you know, it encourages people to have honest conversations about how it's going to go. It's so funny that you say that because I actually have a friend that just got hired at Netflix. Uh -huh. He's literally moving to California for this job. He's on his apartment search this week. Okay. And as soon as he got hired, Netflix told him, we love you. You're great. It might not work out. <laughs> like, you might be here a year, six months. It's nothing personal. You might not want to be here anymore. We might not think you're right for this. We're going to make the best of it no matter what, and we'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I had never heard that before, and I didn't even know I was going to be interviewing you. So your presence is still being felt, which is kind of cool. <laughs> well, that's great. Isn't it cool? So I was at this conference, and the head coach of the Spurs was speaking. And it's a very touchy-feely conference. And somebody in the audience says, oh, my God, it must be so painful for you. I mean, you scour the country for the best athletes ever, and you hire them to work on the team, and they work their hearts out, and they play, you know, and they they, they physically have to work so hard, and, and, and they win, and they lose, and at the end of the season, you might cut them. Doesn't that just break your heart? And he goes, no, it's professional basketball. <laughs> They know. <laughs> and I'm in the audience thinking, why can't we just say that? Oh. <laughs> so 
given that people have all of these ideas about how HR should function mm-hmm. and how we should leave the company, how you should be hired for a company, to take it globally, what kind of world are you trying to build with the way that you are uh, advising companies when it comes to HR? What's your vision for that? I'm trying to teach us to begin with the end in mind and act as if we're developing products instead of making rules. So, you know, I I rail about the annual performance review, for example. So what is it? A feedback mechanism? Once a year? That'd be a really dumb idea if you started from scratch and said, I want to develop a system that gives people feedback so they'll improve their performance. I know. Let's look back on an entire year once a year. Oh, by the way, let's look at mostly what you did wrong and use that as a basis for what to pay you next year. It's just broken. So I'm just inviting all of us in HR to take a look at literally every single thing we do, every process, every initiative, every rule, and say, what's the purpose of this activity? And does it still meet its purpose? And so when I talk with HR groups, you know, when I end my talks with them, I'm like, I want you to do one thing for me, only one thing. Stop doing something that doesn't matter. Just stop. I love that. I have to say, this has been such a great conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. These days, Patty does what she's good at. She consults for promising startups. She often speaks to groups about leadership and women's issues. And she says what she's working for is to keep on her mission to change the world of HR. Next time on Better For It, I chat with Elena Regan, a Michelin-starred chef who learned the hard way that she can't go it alone. From dealing with an employee who has a question about their insurance to making sure that they're making their puree smooth enough, there's just, like, constant, constant stuff. That's next time on Better For It. Better For It is a podcast from ADP. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review and share the show with your friends. You can tweet me at Cheskalee. There's a link in the show notes. Better For It is produced by Max Gibson and Matilde Orfolino. Andrea Bruce is our editor. Mixed and scored by Molly Bolton. Our theme is composed by Marcus Thorne Begala. Additional music from Marmoset and Billy Libby. Fact-checking by Gabby Bulgarelli. I'm Francesca Ramsey. Thanks for listening.